Hey everybody, you're listening to Dead Ideas, the podcast of extinct thoughts and practices. Today is our very special Christmas episode where we will be telling ghost stories. Ghost stories on Christmas? Sure, why not? <laughs> That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westhoff. The Ray stance to my Peter Venkman. And if you don't get that joke, go back and review your Ghostbusters. Ray was the true believer in ghosts, whereas Peter was the skeptic that was just in it for the lols, basically. And that's basically Rachel and I, so there you go. But why are we talking about ghosts on Christmas? Well, we'll get to that in just a second. But first, I want to say quickly that we have a special treat for you at the end of the show. We've been teasing you all month with our special holiday gift, an epic length series for the coming year. And we're gonna tease you just a little longer, but at the end of the show, you will get to open up your present and hear what it is that we have in store for you for our new series to kick off 2017. So stay tuned for that. Okay, I'm B.T. Newberg, but you can call me Brandon. With me today are my co-hosts for the day, Anna. I collect spores, mold, and fungus. Ooh, <laughs> okay. And Nick. I can't wait to open this new podcast present. Is it like a little wrinkled ghost demon with a head like a ball of cloth? <laughs> You're that too... came out of a medieval manuscript? <laughs> How often does that happen in your Christmas exchanges? Do you get homunculi for Christmas? <laughs> Before we get started... Uh, we have a plug to do. Anna, what are we drinking today? Today we are drinking uh, something from the Indeed Brewing Company. It's called Old Friend Winter Warmer Ale. And I've got to say, it's really pleasant. It's kind of nice. It's toasty. It's just a nice little winter ale. And Indeed is from uh, Minneapolis, I think, right? Yeah, kind of yeah. close by yeah, our Yeah, also sort of halfway between our houses, basically. Yeah, good. We're doxing everybody. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So uh, why are we talking about ghosts on Christmas? Well... I'm going to kick that question over to Nick, because this was his idea. Nick, what is up with this episode? Well, I feel a little bad about this, because as a benighted, ugly American, I don't really know how dead an idea this actually is. Uh -huh. It's, it was really a surprise for me, coming from American Christmas traditions, to find out that in the 19th and turn of the 20th century... Apparently, telling ghost stories was the thing on British Christmas. British Christmas? Yes. Okay. And that might still be a pretty lively tradition in Britain. I'm not really sure. I know mm -hmm. the most famous Christmas ghost storyteller is someone named M.R. James, who's okay. usually considered to be the greatest practitioner of the ghost story of all time, pretty much. He was H.P. Lovecraft's favorite author. Except okay. he was good, unlike most of H.P. Lovecraft, and actually managing... <laughs> no, seriously, and actually managing... A lot, yeah. A lot better, A really I would good, say. creepy story. Okay. No, but it makes me think I, about... I figured everyone on the internet loves Lovecraft, yeah, so sure. it yeah. would be a hook that people would understand. Yeah. Um, no, but it makes me think of um, Dickens' uh, Christmas Story well, had ghosts. Yeah. And I was actually doing some research on this, because I was trying to figure out how long, a how far back a tradition this is, mm -hmm. and it seems like Dickens might have basically just invented it. He might have invented with it. Okay. so much other Christmas stuff. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of talk that basically... Christmas as modern Americans and English people know it was basically just came straight out of Dickens. 
So Dickens was himself the ghost of Christmas future. Pretty much. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if ghost stories on Christmas per se were just because of the huge popularity of the biggest Christmas thing ever, the Dickens Christmas Carol. And he wrote a bunch of other Christmas ghost stories too, okay. actually. I have a okay. big hardcover book of all of them that's about three inches thick that I've never read. From the British humorist Jerome K. Jerome in an anthology that he made of Christmas ghost stories called mm -hmm. Told After Supper in 1891. Whenever five or six English-speaking people meet round a fire on Christmas Eve, they start telling each other ghost stories. <laughs> Nothing satisfies us on Christmas Eve but to hear each other tell authentic anecdotes about specters. Oh, okay. So, well, there we go. Okay, well, we'll call that a tradition. So, uh, listeners, we are going to do this episode according to a certain format that actually comes not from England, but from... Japan, from mm -hmm. the Edo period of Japan, when ghost stories were all the rage. This is something called Hyaku Monogatari Kaidankai. And Hyaku means hundred, Monogatari means story, and Kaidankai means ghost story. But when you actually look at the Chinese characters, it's, it's more like ghost meeting. Ah. So I translated it creatively like the meeting of 100 ghosts. Hmm. And here's how it works. So you sit around in a circle, and you light a candle and place it in front of you. And then you each tell ghost stories in turn, going around the circle. And when you finish your ghost story, you extinguish your candle. So one by one, as the stories are told, the candles are going out and the room is getting dimmer and dimmer until the last person is telling their story and you're in near complete total darkness. And when it finishes... Take that, creepypasta. Yeah. <laughs> That's creepy. So we've got our candles. I'm going to light them now. <clears throat> hear the Later the people can light. sample this part and be like, this is the sound of a candle lighting. <laughs> okay. So we're each going to tell a story until it is totally dark. Well, the ghost story that I found, I found an actual ghost story that was also a Christmas story was from Sweden. So I'm going to start by just giving a little bit of um, Swedish Christmas context from this, or Scandinavian Christmas context. Okay. In the Scandinavian countries, simple folk have a vivid sense of the nearness of the supernatural on Christmas Eve. On Yule night, no one should go out, for he may meet uncanny beings of all kinds. In Sweden, the trolls are believed to celebrate Christmas Eve with dancing and revelry. So trolls celebrate Christmas too. Trolls celebrate Christmas. Okay. With doxing. On... <laughs> on the heaths, witches and little trolls ride, one on a wolf, another on a broom or a shovel, to their assemblies, where they dance under their stones. In the mount are then to be heard mirth and music, dancing and drinking. On Christmas morn, be during the time between cock-crowing and daybreak, it is highly dangerous to be go abroad. Because mm. you have, like, out. drunk and hungover trolls coming <laughs> home from their parties, I guess. From Christmas parties. <laughs> yes. It sounds like an office party that they or two that I've had. Wolves and shovels with witches. Um, Christmas Eve is also in Scandinavian folk belief, the time when the dead revisit their old homes, as in All Souls Eve in Roman Catholic lands. The living prepare for their coming with mingled dread and desire to make them welcome. When the Christmas Eve festivities are over and everyone has gone to rest, the parlor is left tidy and adorned, with a great fire burning, candles lighted, and the table covered with a festive cloth, and plentifully spread with food, and a jug of Yule ale ready. Sometimes before going to bed, people wipe the chairs clean with a clean white towel. In the morning they are wiped again, and if earth is found, some kinsman, fresh from the grave, has sat there. 
<laughs> what? So <laughs> fresh. So like a zombie kinsman. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Most of the Scandinavian ghost stories that I've ever heard, yeah. folklore ones, are very, very literal. As in, like it's the Walking corpses. Dead. It's corpses uh-huh. roaming, roaming around. It comes up in sagas and stuff all the time. Ooh. Mm. Like it already. So. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit of that here. Okay. Um, consideration for the dead even leads people to prepare a warm bath in the belief that, like living folks, their kinsmen will want to wash before their festal meal. It doesn't say anything about if you check if the tub is muddy from there. Or if they left anything behind. Yeah. There's a toe in the lint trap. Or again, beds were made for them while the living slept on straw for that night. So you oh. can just have your dead zombie relative sleep in your bed or else... I don't know what they do if you don't do that stuff. That's kind of the unspoken subtext here. I think I'd change my sheets after that. They could burn those sheets. (laughs) Nor is it always consciously the dead from these preparations are made. Sometimes they are said to be trolls, and sometimes even for the savior and his angels. So, or your zombie relatives, or trolls. Zombie relatives. Could be zombies, could be trolls, could be angels. Whatever. Either way, you don't want them knocking around. You're right. sleeping on the ground. That's the takeaway. <laughs> so, what do you think, like the savior and his angels leave behind? If your zombie relatives just leave behind grave cloths or grave dirt, uh, <laughs> what do you check for there? Yeah, I don't know. Trumpets, pins, yeah, pins. Why yeah. oh, angels dancing angels on, dancing on a pin? Yeah. Okay. In one part of Norway, it used to be believed that on Christmas Eve, at rare intervals, the old Norse gods made war on Christians, coming down from the mountains with great blasts of wind and wild shouts, and carrying off any human being who might be about. Hmm. Okay. I don't know why they did this on Christmas particularly, but in one place, well, the... if they were if they were pagans at the time, they didn't celebrate Christmas. So no, this is from it's... the 19th century. So they're projecting it back anachronistically. Huh. I, it's actually saying what it's actually saying is in the 19th century there were Norwegian peasants that thought that you had to watch out on Christmas Eve from Thor coming down from the mountains and kidnapping you. Oh, that so what? at that time they're both. Christians and kind of pagany still. Yeah, they're saying that you as a good Christian need to watch out on Christmas Eve because the evil old Norse gods are wandering around and coming down from the mountains on that night. And as Christians, the evil old Norse gods are kind of devilly now right. for you. Okay, I, I get it. I don't know, it sounds like kind of a red Christmas to me. Yeah? Yeah, the next sentence was the crucial part there. In one place, the memory of such a visitation was preserved in the 19th century. The people were preparing for their festivities when suddenly from the mountains came warning sounds. In the second, the air became black, peals of thunder echoed among the hills, and lightning danced about the buildings, and the inhabitants of the darkened rooms heard the clatter of hooves and the weird shrieks of the hosts of the gods. Bring us some figgy pudding! Bring it right now! (laughs) We won't go until we get some. We won't go until we get some. (laughs) Nice. So now you're going to tell us your Swedish ghost story. So now I have a Swedish ghost story, yes. All right. Um... So this is about two peasants from a homestead called Vaderis. There are two women from this homestead that were going to ride to go to church on Christmas for Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. On Christmas, the two women agreed that they would ride to Christmas Night Mass, and whichever one of them woke up at the right time was to call the other. For in those days, there was no such thing as a watch. Or texting. Or texting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess there could be that kind of call, too. Also, the emojis back then were really, really basic. <laughs> Well, when you have to carve them into wood, it's harder to... Emoji runes. (laughs) That's what I was picturing. It's like a smiley rune. (laughs) Okay, so around midnight, one of the two women thought she heard the voice from her neighbor calling, and I'm going to sit out now. So she got up and got dressed. She took a piece of bread from the table along with her because there wasn't any time to get 
sort of a quick snack before going to church. In those days, it was customary to bake the bread in the shape of a cross. And that was the kind of bread that she took and put in her pocket, which will be important later on. Okay. Um, she rode as fast as she could to catch up with her friend, but couldn't reach her. The way led over a little stream which flows out into Vudistern Lake, and across the stream was a bridge known as the Earth Bridge, and on the bridge stood two witch trolls who were busy washing. I guess getting ready for their troll okay. Christmas parties. Um, she was crossing the bridge and heard one of the witch trolls say, Hurry and tear her head from her shoulders! <laughs> that I cannot do, returned the other, because she has a bit of bread in the form of a cross in her pocket. Oh, it's protective. Yes. Okay. And the woman wasn't able to catch up with her neighbor, but finally got to the church by herself. Church was full of lights, as was always the case when Midnight Mass was said, tied up her horse. Oh, was this in the middle of the night? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is a, very much in the middle of the night. Hurried and entered the church. Seemed like the church was crowded full of people, but all of them were headless. And at the altar stood the priest, in full canonicals, but without a head. What? Okay, so the trolls have been busy. <laughs> None of them had crossbred with them? Not even the priest? This seems like an oversight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's that priest doing wrong? I think he had something cross-shaped on him. You would. But she is in such a hurry to get to church. Uh -huh. Running in and thinking she's late and being uh -huh. flustered and embarrassed and maybe a bit unsettled from which trolls threatened to pull her head off, but maybe that's just normal if you're riding at night in Sweden. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I remember my grandparents telling me that it was uphill both ways and trolls both ways. As yeah. Well. yeah so. <laughs> so she's in such a hurry, she goes in, ignores the ushers, squeezes her way into a pew, and doesn't notice that all the people in the church don't have heads. She doesn't notice? <laughs> nope. <laughs> they have camelid cloaks. <laughs> as she sat down, it seemed to her that someone said, if I had not stood godfather to you when you were christened, I would do away with you as you sat there. But now hurry and make yourself scarce, or it will be the worse for you. Then she realized things were not as they should be, and ran out hastily. How did this person say this with no head? Good question. <laughs> I mean, people hear from ghosts. The ghosts don't probably have physical, visible vocal cords. Well, do you see the little trachea twitch? I just want to know. You might. Okay. So anyway... Then she's terrified, looks up, realizes that all the parishioners have no heads, and runs out of the church. When she came into the churchyard, she seemed to her she was surrounded by a great crowd of people. She was wearing a big, broad wool cloak, as everyone was in those days, as it said. And she was running away, and all the headless corpses come at her and try and grab her and reach out and steal her cloak. But she just leaves it behind and runs comparatively unbundled into the Swedish winter weather. So they're grabbing, grabbing, and they get her cloak, but the they cloak get her comes cloak, off. But the cloak comes off, and she runs and is able to escape dramatically. <laughs> Managed to escape from the churchyard and run to the poorhouse and wake the people there, and they said that when she got there, it was one o'clock at night. Okay. And sat there waiting for early mass at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and when day finally dawned, they found a little piece of her mantle in every grave in the churchyard. Oh, creepy. Oh, so they tore it up and took they each took a little bit back to their grave. Right. So the people at the Midnight Mass were all the people who were in the graveyard. The people at their Mass were all the people in the graveyard. Yeah, near the church. Yep. You'd think after the oh. first three or so, they would know, hey, don't go by here, there's witch well, trolls. Why were all the people in the graveyard headless, though? Well, I'm kind of assuming the subtext is since they went through all the elaborate part at the beginning about how she's going to ride out with her neighbor and then she heard a voice waking her up, uh -huh. the trolls were trying to trick her the whole time. Uh -huh. 
that it was some troll or witch troll or ghost or something that woke her up and led her through Trixiness to the Mass of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd think so, mm. because, you know, oh, they wouldn't like schedule a Mass of the Dead at the same time as normal 12 o'clock Mass. You'd have to have a special bulletin and everything. Well, that's something that seemed <laughs> weird to me, though. Assuming it is Midnight Mass, although maybe they did the thing like wimpy Americans do now, where they have their Midnight Mass at 8.30. <laughs> yeah, right. It still seems like if she goes there, she gets out at 1 o'clock, and, or she sees the time as 1 a.m., and it's already the Mass of the Dead by 1 a.m. That's like, got to be a really quick turnaround between the normal Christmas night Mass for the living and then the zombie Mass. Maybe that's well, why they're mad. You know, they have to clean up after living Mass, and, you know... I don't know. People, you know, people at church are some. They can be open-minded once in a while. I mean, nowadays you have Spanish mass and you have English mass, and here, maybe they were they were okay with having graveyard mass. Dead well, mass. I, yeah, dead from, mass. I think that's the case. I mean, there are so many stories uh-huh. from Scandinavian countries. It's just really a stock thing. Though this is the only one that involved witch trolls, people without heads, and Christmas. But it's really one of the standard Norwegian and Swedish folk tales. Is you're somewhere, you're shipwrecked, or you don't know what time of day it is, and you go to church and you see the lights on and you try and take shelter there, but it's before dawn and it's the Church of the Dead. Okay. The, the line? It's the... a really normal trope. About... Oh, so there's more than one story about Oh, there's this dozens movie. and dozens, okay. yeah. Nice. Huh. So, Very cool. I'm just kind of assuming, yeah, as you say, it's like Spanish language mass. It's just assumed you go to church at the wrong time and... <laughs> Whoops, I showed up at graveyard mass. Sometimes mass is in Polish, sometimes they're zombies. <laughs> they usually try and kill you and then one of your friendly dead relatives warns you off and you escape. That's how the story typically ends. Mm. It just still seems like there's a scheduling conflict there on Christmas <laughs> night when you have to have late night mass, but then the yeah. zombies still have to have their mass as well. <laughs> Please be punctual for a mass as zombies will show up at exactly 1235. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't always lose initiative in these folk tales. <laughs> yeah. All right, I think it's time for you to blow out a candle. I think it is. Anna, we're on to you. Well, hi. Um, so when I was looking for a uh, ghost story... I came across uh, some really interesting accounts. Uh, Back in the 1930s, during the Great Depression, the uh, WPA, which stands for Works Progress Administration, um, did a lot of folklore research as part of their whole general jumpstart economy, give people jobs things. And one of them they did, one of their projects that was going to get collected together into a major uh, folklore anthology that never quite panned out, was they sent a bunch of people to get recordings and uh, anecdotes from people who lived in Appalachian Mountains around uh, Virginia. and uh, Which, for any non-American listeners, oh, yeah, like, this is kind of like deep backwoods country. Yeah, deep, dark hollers. Yeah, um, sort of the classic deep backwoods country. Of, yeah. 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 A lot of people who are descended from Scots-Irish people uh, who came, you know, back when the country was being settled and uh, basically came with a whole passel of old-world um, traditions and beliefs, a lot of which corroborate with stuff that we've covered in earlier episodes of past I- of Dead Ideas, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this story um, is actually one of those collected ones. It was uh, originally told to Emery L. Hamilton of Wise, Virginia, by Mrs. Belle Kilgore in April... Kilgore? Kilgore! Good old Scottish <laughs> name. It's a good Scots name. Uh, it was told uh, on April 6, 1940, and according to her, this was uh, something that her own grandmother told her, 
which is interesting because it directly concerns her grandparents, both her grandparents, and them being the uh, target of malign forces. Hmm. Which is interesting, again, because most ghost stories, it's not so much... It's, it's This happened to a friend of a friend, not my grandpappy said this happened to him. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. you know, there's always that layer of distance. So in this case, it's coming from a little closer to home. Yeah, and the really cool thing about a lot of these WPA stories from the uh, Appalachians, it's all like, yeah, no, somebody I know, this happened to them, and they told me about it. Mm-hmm. Somebody in my family was uh, afflicted with ghosts and devils. <laughs> and then they got okay. better. <laughs> All right. Okay. So the general gist of it is that uh, Mrs. Bell Kilgore had a grandmother whose name was Anna Rose and a grandpappy. As so she's... Anna Rose Kilgore? Anna, Anna Rose Ramey. Anna Rose oh. Ramey. Oh, okay. And a grandpappy, Ben Boone Ramey. Sounds like it should be a folk song already. Yeah, yeah I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like we're too sober to tell the story. Yeah. But long, sh- long and short of it, um, Anna Rose has been sick for a long time. She can't sleep. She has afflicted terrible night visions and fevers and is just not getting any rest. And as is the general consensus, she's being witched. That is, somebody's haunting her. Something's doing something to her. And Ben, her husband, uh, would try to move her bed from place to place in the room. Interesting question. They're married. Why do they have separate beds? I don't know. It's not explained. But whatever. He keeps moving the bed around, and initially, whenever he does this, she starts to sleep okay. They but didn't then, have a sleep number back then. That's I guess why. not. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, Ben Ben likes to sleep on his, you know, stomach, and he needs it really firm. Anna likes it a little <laughs> softer. Then there's the whole issue of the sleep apnea, but, you know, whatever. That's a witch, too, Also caused by witchery, yeah. I was assuming. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yes, it's witches. So... At any rate, the long and the short of it is... So the CPAP machine is just a big exorcism thing? Yeah, and, you know, you also have to put, like, is a it bunch like one of, of those pictures. ritual masks that you... Yeah, yeah, and, and then, you know, you string it up from the rafters, and there's an oxtail involved somewhere. But... Okay. <laughs> at any rate, Anna is not getting any sleep, at least not after the first night. She's not and... getting any of anything if they're sleeping in separate beds. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's a lot of... Well, do you want to get anything from a grandpappy? <laughs> they're married. They're, they're... Oh, never mind. At any rate, the up the long the short of it is Anna Rose initially gets sleep every time they move the bed, but then it just keeps happening. And, you know, something is deviling her in her sleep. And finally, Ben, her husband's like, well, okay, you know what? We've established the problems where you're sleeping. So what he does is he says, I'm going to take your bed, and I'm going to sleep there with a hammer and see what happens. And she's like, <laughs> I don't think that's a great idea. No, something malign is happening, and he's stubborn, and he's like, nope. Sleeping here with a hammer. It's like, I'm going to fix it with a hammer. A real do-it-yourselfer ghost hunter. And she's like, honey, we should call in a professional. It's not a good idea. We need a contractor. Honey, you know, Hammer of the Witches is not literal. You know that? (laughs) Well, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a... (laughs) Witch. (laughs) So he goes to sleep after putting um, Anna in his bed and going into his. And Ben's just drifting off. And then after a while, he gets a feeling something's watching him, that he's not alone. He opens his eyes, and there's something terrifying looking at him. It's this twisted, hideous hag. And it's looking at him with a horrible frown, and it's grabbed his hammer. It has oh. its hammer in its mm. hand, and it looks like it's going to just draw back and whack his brains so out. They, like, do they have a ghostly tug-of-war going on right now, then? <laughs> well, that's about to happen, actually. What happens is he lunges out of bed, and he manages to smack the hammer out of the hag's hand. And she starts to turn to run, 
because, you know, this was an unexpected chain of events. He grabs that hammer and he throws it at the witch. <laughs> Never seen a ghost be like, ah, I'm out of here. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. This is, a, this is an interesting turn of events. And the really interesting thing is he doesn't actually hit the witch with this initial throw. What happens is it bounces off the wall and hits the witch in the shin. Ricochet. Ooh, ricochet. Yeah, oh. yeah, he manages to get a ricochet. He's like the Captain America of the Appalachians. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. So it's like Captain America and Thor together. Yeah. Yeah, well. All right, I'm going to throw a hammer at the yeah. witch. Okay, roll the hit. <laughs> Critical! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it it's amazing. It hits her on the heel, actually. Okay. And sparks fly Ooh, from where okay. it hits her. And uh, this has an immediate effect. The witch gets smaller and smaller and smaller and retracts and becomes uh, just a puff of something that goes through a keyhole. Huh? And she okay. escapes. The physics of witches. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. um, not quite a Benedante level there, I guess, but... So the next morning, Ben, or Grandpappy, depending on who's telling the story, has to go over and work in the groves over in his fields, because witches are no, the work it needs to get done. But before he leaves, since he has an inkling into the inside of how witches work, he tells his family that if anybody comes to borrow anything, the answer is no. You can't let a witch borrow anything of yours, even if it's just through a proxy of a family member, because they'll gain your power, and you won't mm. be able to resist anything they do you to you. You need something of yours to kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And not too long after he's gotten out of sight and he's, you know, away, then a young person whose mother is Kate Keene, who's a local person of ill repute, ends up coming over to the cabin and she asks to borrow some liniment, which is, you know, sort of an ointment that you put on um, your bruised heel. Your bruised heel. Yeah. Yeah. She says um, that a horse had kicked her mother on the leg and it was swollen and she wasn't doing too well. Hmm. I'm going to quote directly from the text. Now, my mammy was just a little girl, but she told that young and she couldn't borrow nothing from her and for her to get. Sorry, this was written in dialect. <laughs> then the young and started bawling and she said, Thenia, how can you refuse me a little thing like some liniment when my mammy's a dying? It just might happen sometime to your mammy, then the shoe would be on the other foot. And my mammy blurted it out, Look here, my mammy's in a worse fix than yours are in now, and it's your mammy's fault. Now you make treks up that road or I'll sick the dogs on you. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know. Okay, and this happens all through the day. Basically, members of the Keene family would come and try to borrow something. Not Kate herself, interestingly enough. Her husband, her old man, comes to ask for a bit of pine tar salve. He asks for a rag. Again, the theme is her legs hurt. Uh-huh. And it's all apparently, quote-unquote, busted to pieces, and her whole leg, leg a swole plum up to her thigh. Wow. And mm, there, yeah. So I guess it knocked some sparks out and some other stuff as well. And uh, the theme is also that she's really in a bad way because it doesn't look like she's going to live until sundown. Uh-huh. So obviously some sort of witchery went bad, or at least that's the subtext. And despite all of this begging, Anna Rose, who has now figured out that something's afoot, will not let them borrow anything. No something's afoot. Something's afoot? Yeah, <laughs> foot. A heel. Yeah. Har, har, har. Uh, she will not let them uh, have anything, no matter how small. And it's gotten really desperate because, uh, at this point, again, Kate's husband, the witch's husband, or presumed witch's husband, is basically flat out offering anything. And when uh, Ben, the one who wounded the witch, gets back, Kate's husband is just flat out saying... Please just do something, and her his response is, "Let old Kate die. She won't be a pestering folks around here." And this gets basically Kate's husband just begging, "I'll work for you for a year. Anything, just you know, let us borrow something," which apparently has the effect on Ben that uh, 
I can't just let her die. So there's so still a sense of hospitality even in those times. Yeah. Yeah, you know, still a sense of obligation. Obligation even, to neighbors. Even yep. if they are trying to kill, you know, or haunt your wife for no readily apparent reason. <laughs> so what he does is he's like, fine, I'm not lending you anything, but I'm going to go and help out and see what's wrong with Kate. So he says, I'm going to take a rag, I'll grab some liniment and salve and, you know, whatever you need to fix up a leg. And he hoofs it over to the shack of Kate Keene, which is apparently not looking so great. It's a dirty shanty and it's kind of creepy and old. And when he sees her in, his, in, in her bed, it's like, yep, this is the crone. This is it. And before he does anything for her, he basically extracts a promise from Kate you're going to leave Anna alone. You're not going to touch her for the rest of your stupid life. And the old crone was so racked with pain, she'd done anything to get shed of it. Shot of it, I'm guessing. is. So she broke down and told Grandpappy why she was pestering his old woman. She said, When I was a stripling of a girl, I fell in love with you, but you pay me no mind at all. You went and on and got married up with Anna Rose. Right there and then, I made up my mind that I'd let her rest no more so long as she lived with you. So I made myself into a witch and aimed to do magic, and I ain't let Anna Rose have peace since. Oh. So, already there's some dark betrayal right there. <laughs> so he fixes up Kate with liniment and, you know, basically binds up her leg. And he said, you're fine, you're fine now, but she says, nope, because I just told you I was a witch. And unfortunately, the devil is not down with that. When I made his deal with the devil, I was told that if I confessed to being a witch, I'd be dead three months from now. And when that time comes, I need you to come and lay me out. And don't let anybody take off my black dress that I always wear. I need to be buried in it. She's don't a let them undress too. It. Well, yeah, pretty much. She's, <laughs> yeah, you know, all the cursing, all the pettiness, all the stuff of blood and whatnot. And she says, I'm going to die three months after I told you about being a witch just before sunset, and I'll sweat blood until I die. <laughs> okay. Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so she makes she makes Ben promise he's not going to tell anyone, and that, you know, when it's her time, he's going to come to lay her out and bury him and just, you know, be with her while she dies. And she's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to undress you. You'll get buried in the black dress. That's fine. So three months to the day after this, there was a huge thunderstorm full of lightning, and Kate basically sends one of her kids over to get Ben, and he hurries over to the shanty, and she's looking terrible, and she's sweating, and they she's keep... sweating blood. She's well, that's interesting. The quote is, "She started a sweating, and they wiped it off with a towel. The sweat was pink and then red." Uh... Mm -hmm. Yep. Just as the thunder and lightning stopped, she stretched out on the bed and slipped away, and that was it. She died, and she's buried in her black dress. No one took it off, but. When everybody had been so terrified of Kate Keene that when she was alive they hadn't, you know, said about what they'd, you know, seen her do. But at the wake, the neighbors basically open up and they say all sorts of stuff about her turning her kids into grasshoppers and flies and June bugs. Her own kids or their kids? Her own kids. Okay. And, like, making them zip around and go through the keyholes of things. Sure, that sounds pretty fun. That'd well, be a cool mom. Yeah, if I was a kid, I'd be down with <laughs> that. Or if would be a grasshopper than a June bug. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. Well, it also sounds kind of like an Appalachian term of endearment. Oh, my little June bug. Oh, yeah. my little devil June bug. <laughs> oh, my sweet little devil June bug. Yeah, but uh, apparently Ben says that she told him uh, after, you know, saying, yeah, I'm a witch, that she'd help the devil to kill one of her children and boil him in the stew, in which stew, to make witch balls. Witch balls? Witch balls? Which, yeah, yeah. Witch balls, uh, from when I was reading through the sources, it's just sort of these, like, compact little... 
cornmeal's involved and a bunch of curses, and it's just something you can, <laughs> you can, you can hurl at somebody, and it's it's not exactly tangible, but it will leave a bruise, and it can kill somebody invisibly without marks, or with subtle marks that only people in the know know what to look for. So now it's we're... a really badly made cookie that's so dense, it'll it's like throwing a shot put. That seems to be the subtext. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really want there to be a cookbook named Cornmeal's Involved in Some Curses. Too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's coming out next okay. year. I just have to get it all together. But basically, the upshot is, yeah, Kate was uh, big trouble, but now she's gone. Mm-hmm. And Anna Rose slept reasonably peacefully for the rest of her life, enough to tell her children this strange story of revenge and thwarted love and child murder and sweating blood. So, happy Appalachian Christmas, I guess. <laughs> What did she think of her husband having to go out and bury her rival that was witching her all up and keeping her from sleeping? Interestingly enough, sources do not indicate. (laughs) (laughs) Burying the witch, huh? Yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. Burying it in the witch. So, yeah. And the story was called, uh, in the sources, he gave her the mitten. So was there a mitten? Yeah, is there any explanation for that? There is, actually. When I was uh, reading through the sources... When you were courting, if you were a young man, you were to ask for a lady's hand. But if she turned you down, the subtext was she gave you the mitten, not the hand. The mitten. Oh, okay. Oh. And after a while, this uh, this was a kind of a you know term that reversed. Basically, he turned her down. He gave her the mitten. Right. Uh-huh. So that's the reason of the story. Oh. Okay. Sort of name. So you don't go home with the witch. She just gets the mitten and not your hand. And you don't get married, and you don't go down to the graves with the headless dead, and they just get your mantle. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, they get the... lots of cast-off articles of clothing going to malefactors, and that is seems kind to of... be a theme of the evening. Yeah, I'm really. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. Actually, there will be some clothing in my story I was going to ask. Not exactly clothing, but close. But first, I think you need to blow out your candle. You do. All right. Well, that was my story. Great story, by the way. Thanks. Glad you liked it. All right. And I need you to stand um, on my side of the bed with a hammer at night. Okay. (laughs) All right. So on to our third and final ghost story for this Christmas episode. So my story comes from Japan. And I actually lived in Japan for five years when I was teaching English over there, so it's kind of a special thing for me. And I would like to dedicate this story to my former neighbor and basically Japanese mom, who had me over for dinner at least once a week, and who is Japanese curry I still crave from time to time. So this goes out to Machiko Kagokawa. Thank you, Machiko. I also want to give a shout out to my Japanese teacher, Miyuki Matsuoka. So, to you guys, I will say, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and also, Yoi o Shogatsu, which is Happy New Year. Because in Japan, the New Year is the time that you celebrate with your family. It's actually Merry Christmas where you go out with your friends and get drunk. But it's New Year when you have a time with your family, like we do for Christmas. And is that Western, like January 1st New Year? Or is it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not Chinese New Year. They yeah. actually attach it to, like, the Western calendar. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so this story is called... I have to do this in my best anime voice, too. Oh, no. This story is called Totori no Futon, which means the futon of Totori. (laughs) (laughs) It is a story about a haunted futon. (laughs) And now, in Japan, a futon is a little different than we think of in the West. It's not a couch that pulls out into a bed. It's actually more like a fold-up mattress that stays in the cupboard during the day, but then at night you lay it out 
and um, put a blanket over it and sleep on it in the morning you put it back so it's kind of like very economical in terms of space saving in your home and stuff mm -hmm. I just realized I think I'm leaning on your futon right you're now. leaning on my food yeah I actually sleep on just a mattress too so <laughs> why is it bleeding <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so this story comes from a collection of Japanese stories by Lafcadio Hearn uh, from 1894, Glimpses of Unfamiliar Japan, Volume 2. So this story is at least as old as 1894. Who knows how much older? Okay. Lafcadio Hearn was one of the early popularizers of Japanese culture in the English language. And he was himself a little bit creepy. He never would show his left eye in any photographs that you find of him. Huh. Because when he was a teenage boy, there was he had some kind of a schoolyard injury that left his left eye permanently discolored. And so he would never show it in photographs. He's always like closing his eyes or turned to the one side so that you can't see it. Sinister. He also had severe myopia. So he went around with a magnifying glass to read things close up and a pocket telescope to look at things <laughs> that was more than just a short distance away. So kind of a an unusual character. Yeah. Yeah. Putting it mildly. Yeah. Okay, so on to the story. So this story begins in the town of Totori, which is a coastal town in southwest Japan. And this town is famous for its sand dunes, which are unusual for Japan. Hmm. That has nothing to do with the story, but it's just a little tidbit yeah. about Totori that I read online. Anyway... At this time of this story, in Totori, there was a small guest house that had just opened. And it was clean, it was nice, but the owner was, was not well-to-do, so he's rather poor. And so most of the furnishings for this guest house he had gotten at second-hand shops. Okay? So one night, he finally receives his first guest, a traveling merchant who mm -hmm. comes in, looking for, you know, a meal, a little entertainment, and a bed for a night. So he's fed well, and he's served lots of sake, and he gets quite rosy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, finally, he asks the innkeeper for his room. And so the innkeeper takes him up the stairs to his room, lays out the futon for him, puts a blanket over it, and then basically the merchant who's just had all this sake just kind of collapses onto the futon, basically. And the innkeeper is like, Oyasumi nasai, which is a good night. And then closes the door and, you know, goes down the stairs and lets him be. And by this time, he's already like, you know, he's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the merchant wakes in the middle of the night. He's woken up by the sound of children's voices. Mm -hmm. He hears two voices. The first voice says, Onisan Somukoro, which means older brother, aren't you cold? And then the second voice says, Omai Somukoro, which means younger brother, aren't you cold? And he figures, uh, you know, like this paper walls and things, you know, so maybe kids outside, or maybe, right. you know, they don't have the same sense of privacy back then, so maybe the kids have even wandered into his room, so he's like, get out of here, basically, and just like throws something and goes back to sleep. But he's woken up again by the same voices. Onisan, san Sumukoro, Omae, Sumukoro. And 
he's like, okay, this is getting weird, right? So he lights a candle, and he looks all around, but there's no one there. It's just him. And he looks in the cupboards, he checks the windows to make sure that the shutters are shut and everything. There's no one there, it's just him. So he's like, oh, this is creepy. I, I can't stay here, right? So he grabs his things, he goes down the stairs, and he wakes up the innkeeper. And he says, there's some crazy voices in my room. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where those kids are, but some, I, I can't stay here. And the innkeeper very politely says, to make pleased the honorable guest, everything has been done. But the honorable guest, having drunk too much August sake, <laughs> bad dreams has seen. <laughs> but the merchant is just too creeped out, and so he splits. Like, he just pays and leaves, right? And the innkeeper is like, that was weird. And he just goes back to sleep, though, right? The next night, the room is rented again by a different guest. And the guest hears the same thing in the middle of the night. Oni-san, samukoro, omae, samukoro. And again, the innkeeper was awoken by the guest, complaining of strange voices. But this time, the guest had not drunk sake. The guest was completely sober. And so the innkeeper now starts to suspect some plot to ruin his business. So he says to the guest, To please you, all things honorably have been done, but you speak ill-omened words. You know my inn is my livelihood. You have no right to say such things. And at this, the, the guest is like, it, it just basically gives him the middle finger and splits. <laughs> so the innkeeper is like, Oh, God, what the fuck, you know, right? <laughs> but he's like, it like starts to think, this is strange. That person wasn't drunk or anything. So he lights a candle, and he climbs the stairs, and he goes up to the room. The innkeeper enters the room and casts his candlelight into all the corners, and he finds no one. He hears nothing. He's like, babies, you know. Yeah. But just as he's leaving, then he hears a voice. Oni-san, sumukuro. And another voice. Omae, sumukuro. He gets his hammer. <laughs> he gets his hammer, you know, <laughs> and he's like, what the, you know, and he, he investigates, he looks in the cupboards, he looks everywhere, and he hears it again, he hears it again, and finally he figures out that it's coming from the futon. Ooh. Yes. Then he hears it again, and he finds out, wait, it's not the futon, it's actually the blanket over the futon. Oh. Yeah, so he takes the blanket, and he takes it down to his own room. And the voices continue, and he's so freaked out by this that he can't sleep. And so when dawn comes, immediately he takes the blanket and he goes straight to the place, the secondhand shop where he got it, and was like, "Where did you get this from? This blanket? What? Where did you get? You got to tell me where you got this from, right?" The secondhand shop owner says, "I don't know. I got it from a smaller shop across town." So he goes to the smaller shop, and he asks, "Where did you get this blanket from? This is weird." you got to tell me where the, you got this blanket from. And that shop owner is like, I don't know. I got it from an even smaller shop way in the far edges of town. <laughs> so he goes to that shop and asks, where did you get this blanket from? This is weird. you know, you got to tell me where you got this blanket from. And then the shop owner tells the story of the blanket. He says, a landlord brought this blanket in. A landlord who had a very poor family living in one of his small houses. And this family was so poor that they struggled to make ends meet. The mother was too sick to work. And soon the father fell ill and died as well. And with the father gone, 
Then the mother, shortly after, followed him to the grave. And so all that was left of the family were their two young boys, aged eight and six. Mm. Now the boys, of course, couldn't work, but they had a house. Meagerly appointed though it was, they sold off the possessions one by one in order to make enough money to pay for rent and buy food. But it didn't last very long because they were so poor they didn't have much to sell. And it came to a point where all they had left was just this one single futon blanket. They had no money left for food, no money left for fuel for the fire, just this blanket. And in the middle of the night, they had to share the blanket. And the younger brother said to the older brother, Oni-san, sumukoro, older brother, aren't you cold? And tried to give the whole blanket to the older brother. But the older brother said, Omai, sumukoro, younger brother, aren't you cold? And tried to give the whole blanket to the younger brother. And so they carried on like that for several nights until it came time to pay the rent again. But they had nothing left to give, so the landlord took the blanket as their rent for the next month. Mm -hmm. And now by this time, it was the middle of winter, this daikon, or the season of great cold. And radishes. And radishes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Different Chinese characters. Oh, okay. Yes, daikon. <laughs> great cold. And they had nothing left and it was very cold, and it was not long after that the other townspeople found them still huddled together, but frozen eternally, embracing each other, trying to stay warm. Mm -hmm. And so the two boys were taken to a local temple, the temple of the goddess of mercy, Kanon, and there their remains were laid to rest. And hearing this, hearing this whole story, the innkeeper immediately took the blanket, and went to that temple, the temple of Kanon, and had the priests there say a prayer over the blanket. And after that, the voices of the Futon of Totori were heard from no more. <laughs> kind of Dickensian. Yeah, children freezing to death in yeah. the winter is a yeah. little match girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it also had kind of a gift of the Magi kind of flair, too, yeah. so yeah. it was kind of Christmas appropriate. <laughs> Kind of a grim piece of social commentary, though, that this eight-year-old kid can keep on selling off all his possessions in a comparatively small town, and no one thinks... Yeah. Well, the other thing that they said about it, I think it was mentioned in the story that they were strangers in the town. Oh, okay. And they, so they didn't have any kin or no friends. Social right. kind of, no social network. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. The other moral... If you buy clothes from a second-hand store, always make sure you wash them before you wear them. If you buy furnishings, maybe get them exercised. Get <laughs> them exercised, yes. You might get ghosts. You might get bed bugs. Either way. <laughs> All right. I think the time has come to blow out the final candle. No, we'll be in the dark. Almost. <sighs> Complete darkness. The time has come to hit stop <laughs> on the podcast room <laughs> and close the screen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, everybody, thank you. Thanks, Nick and Anna, for being on the show again. That's it for our, always. That's mm -hmm. it for our Christmas Ghost Stories episode. So I hope you enjoyed that. That was awesome. But before we go, as I said before, we have a little treat for you. We have a special holiday message. And then, as promised, you will get to open your present and find out what our next series will be about. So I haven't told you guys this, but for our special holiday message... I have 
uh, a happy holidays that can go out to all of our listeners in all the countries around the world. We've got a list of all the countries of the peoples who listen to us. Woo! So I have a little game for us. Ah. Okay. The challenge is to read as many of the countries as you can in one breath and see how far we get. Oh. Okay. <laughs> who wants oh. to go first? Oh. Oh, hold on. Let me finish this beer. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> that sounds like you're volunteering. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Yes. For the greater good. Okay. All right. As fast as I can? All right. Well, in one breath. As many as you can in one as breath. As many, yeah. Okay. All right. How many? We... Okay. Hold on. Shh. Okay. I guess I can't do abbreviations. No. United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Australia, Sweden, Virgin Islands, Germany, Ireland, Japan, Norway, South Africa, Singapore, Finland. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Okay, you're, okay. Out. you're out. You're I'm out. out. You're okay. Out. I just can't do. I can't do consonants. <laughs> do we or... give it all the way to Finland? One breath. Buon Natale to Italy. Feliz Navidad to Mexico. Happy Hanukkah to Israel. Feliz Navidad again to Chile. I don't know how you say Merry Christmas to Lithuania. Merry Christmas to New Zealand. Shit, I just lost it. Let's that out. I literally just navigated away from the page trying we weren't to go just down. Saying, we weren't just saying the names of the countries that listen to us. We were just wishing them all happy Christmas. I, I well, no. I was going to raise up a handicap here. I'll, I'll do it straight. Right. We'll have to edit that out. No, anyway. no. Keep it in. You said that, that was great. I had plenty more breath in me, though. It was just I couldn't figure out how to navigate the iMac. Oh, see? Oh, yeah, it's hard, isn't to, it? just need to go like this. Two okay. fingers. Wait, ah, okay. Listeners in Denmark? Cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. We have more listeners under all that. Right. Yeah. So let's try this again. All right. You want to start from the top, or you want? Yeah, to... if that's all right. Okay. All right. Bon... Next turn. Try it. Buon Natale, I think, to Italy. Feliz Navidad to Mexico. Happy Hanukkah to Israel. Feliz Navidad again to Chile. However, you say Merry Christmas in Lithuania to Lithuania, and straight up Merry Christmas to New Zealand, Philippines, Switzerland, Denmark, Iceland, Spain, Latvia, Saudi Arabia, Puerto Rico, Netherlands, Macedonia, Vietnam, the Czech Republic, also known as Czechia. Joyeux Noël to France, the United Arab Emirates, Portugal, Myanmar, Malaysia, Cambodia, India, Greece. I'm done. <laughs> well, you didn't leave very many left for me. All we have left are Merry Christmas to Brunei, Russia, and Romania. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for listening. Now, finally, it's time to open your presents. Oh, God, there's socks. Just what I wanted. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, and white t-shirts. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. Yeah. Okay, now it's time for this special moment, finally. We've teased you all month long with news of our holiday gift, and now it's finally, as we've said, we are gifting to you all a giant, monster, epic-length series for the new year, which will start next week. And now it's finally time to reveal the topic. We will be traveling back to medieval Ireland. And we're going to be talking about a certain dead idea that very few of our listeners will likely have ever heard of, something called a geish, which comes from medieval Irish epic literature and folklore. If you want to look it up, it's spelled G-E-I-S in the Irish, or G-E-A-S in the Scottish, ah. as well as in the Dungeons & Dragons spellbook. Yeah, see, I believe G-E-A-S. It's the Scottish version. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Yes, in the Dungeons & Dragons spellbook, it is a spell that lets you give others a command that they must follow or take psychic damage. Oh. Incidentally, if you're listening to this, I think Brandon's just done this, and next week you're all going to tune in or else yeah. bad shit going down. Yeah, what is that, constitution basically. save? Or... Yeah. <laughs> oh, you think that I've uh, put a geisha on myself, so I'm going to take psychic damage if they don't tune in? No, I think you're putting a geisha on all to listen, everyone listening to this that they'll take psychic damage if they don't <laughs> tune in next week. Well, And if you're not, why, 
I think there are legal reasons why we should not say that on the air, but okay. <laughs> what is psychic, psychic damage, damage law in the US? <laughs> or internationally? Anyway, I'm guessing that the medieval Irish were not actually playing Dungeons & Dragons. So what was this thing called a geish? That is what we are going to be talking about. We're going to be going deep into that and very deep into the medieval Irish culture that wove this dead idea into their epic literature. And this, let me tell you, is going to be huge. We're going to have Andre back on the show, Woo! for one thing. And we're going to have not two, not three, but four episodes in the initial series. And then, we still won't be done, then we're doing something new. We're going to have our first ever expert interviews. Interviews. We've got not one, but two interviews. And we'll be talking to Dr. Gillian Kenny of Trinity College in Dublin about the position of women in medieval Ireland, as well as Finn Duar of the Irish History Podcast, who will be talking to us about the traumatizing impact of the Vikings on Irish culture. Add to that a public domain Theater 3000 episode, and we are still not done. We have even more gifts for you to open. It's the gift that keeps on giving. We're even going to have a custom-generated map of medieval Ireland for you, generously created by listener Adam McKithern. Thank you, Adam. We will post that on our website at deadideas.net and our social media feeds at, at deadideaspod. So that is going to keep us busy for quite some time. We are really excited about it, and I hope you are too. I also want to remind everybody that the portraits will be moving to a Patreon model starting on the first of the next year, so January 1st. And so that means this is your last chance to get a free portrait in exchange for an honest review. You can review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, or wherever people will see it, and then email us at deadideaspod at gmail.com with a photo that we can work from and your choice of time period and culture that you want us to draw you as, and we will draw you up good. <laughs> All right. Does that sound like a good gift, you guys? I think so. Just make sure you don't quarter them as well. <laughs> All right. That's it for this week. Hope you guys are excited. I am. All right. I'll see you next week. I'm BT Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Dead Ideas.